Hello, everybody. How are you doing? Happy, happy Thursday morning over here. It is bright and early. I'm excited. A lot of people ask me, why do you do interviews so early in the day? And I'm like, why not? Get it in. You know, I have plenty of interviews rest of the day. I'm gonna do it right now. But today I have a beautiful, gorgeous, I'm like, oh my, she's so beautiful. I gotta do my hair. I gotta, I gotta do something. I need to put on some extra makeup. No, she's gorgeous. But uh, she's intelligent, she's beautiful, she's smart, she's amazing. The one, the only author, Erin McLucky Moya. Hey, girl, hey. Her book, I'm great. Her book is titled The Unveiling, which is the Veil series, book one. Tell us about author Erin and about The Unveiling. Okay, so firstly, the reason we're doing this interview so early for you is because I'm on the other side of the world and live in Italy, so it's not first thing in the morning for me at all. <laughs> so I almost want to say, um, at this point, it's wine o'clock somewhere. This is this is wine country, really, that I live in. Yeah. So everyone is constantly opening wine, whether it's nine in the morning or in the oh, I remember. I, li- I lived in Italy, girl. Uh, yo parlo un po' de italiano, non bene, ma... I try. Tu parlo bene? Brava, brava. Slowly, but surely. Uh, I've actually only lived in Italy for a year. Um, I'm actually South African, through and through. And we moved to Italy, um, I want to say just over a year ago, and three months into living in Italy, we went into lockdown, and we sort of haven't come out. Oh, wow. So it's been an interesting, <laughs> it's wow. been an interesting experience. For so sure. in this lockdown period, um, the move for me was very, very difficult, because I had to give up, I felt like I was giving up so much of my old life. Mm. Um, we moved here from my husband's company, and I had my own business in South Africa. And suddenly, and we also have two small children, so I've got a two-year-old and four-year-old. When we moved, they were um, three and one, which if anyone listening is a parent, you know, you are in the trenches. It's, like, so difficult. It's extreme. We moved completely different countries um, with them, and my eldest didn't adjust well at all. Like, he absolutely refused to speak Italian, even though he knew how to. He would go every day to school, and the teachers would speak to him in Italian, and he would actively respond in English. Right. <laughs> he was, like, taking a stand, saying, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I refuse. I'm not speaking this language. And so the adjustment period was um, incredibly difficult. And in that process, I felt like I lost a huge part of my own identity as to who I was, um, where I was. Um, I'm a very, very friendly and outgoing person by nature. Okay. And we live in northern Italy, um, and I don't want to say Milan because Milan's a different, it's a, a metropolitan city, but we're just probably about 30 minutes out of um, outside Torino, and the culture and the way people are here are very, very close. So in my mind, when I thought we were moving to Italy, and this is going to sound absurd to anybody who listens now, but I keep thinking, oh, that's going to sound like such a fabulous life. We're going to be continuously having lunches with people and play dates, and we're going to go to the mountains, the Alps for the weekend, and they're going to make friends, and they're going to come with us, and it's going to be, it's just going to be good. And when I got here, it was not the case at all. I got treated, and I'm still treated to a certain extent, with a lot of hostility, because I'm foreign, and I'm blonde, and um, 
I'm English and we live in a very, very small village. And so you've got um, these small village politics at play where um, really I'm very much the outsider. This is so true. It happened to me when I lived in Italy. They hated the fact that I was American. And I was like, this is effed up, yo. Like, really? This is how you do? Okay, whatever. Whatever. So, but I learned the, the language a little bit, the cuisine, the history, and the art. And I was like, all right, I'm out of here. Bye. <laughs> So this, has been, so this is the challenge, is that I don't have, I mean, I can't just move and just decide that I don't like it and leave, because I have to give my kids an adjustment period. Yeah, of so, course. So um, it's, been, it's been a hell of a ride, because um, I've loved parts of Italy, but I also haven't loved a lot of parts of being here, and the treatment and hospitality. Also, I don't want to say the culture in, in general, because the culture down south is very, very different to the culture in central Italy. It's different to the culture in northern Italy. You can't even view Italy as a holistic um, viewpoint. So it's been difficult. Um, I just want to say, additionally to that, when I moved here, I think the only word, and I, I feel it's going to sound so arrogant for me to say, but I feel, I just assumed that my lack of Italian would be fine. I would learn along the way, and I would stumble, and it would be okay. You know, I'm like, English is a global language. It will be fine. And because we live in this very, very small village, no one speaks English. And when mm. I say no one, I literally mean no one. Right. Not even my son's English teacher speaks English. <laughs> she can teach me words from the English book on a toddler level. Oh but if you engage in a conversation, it, they that I live in a town where nobody speaks English. And that was one adaptation. It's been incredibly difficult um, because then not only did I feel like I moved away from everything I knew, I moved away from my friends and family, I moved away from um, my own source of independence, if you will, in terms of business. Now I'm in a country and I literally cannot communicate. And so it was arrogant for me to assume it would be fun. I probably should have done a lot more prep work before moving here but here we are so when I moved here I could say one word and that was cappuccino and now I can say um in fluent Italian I'm so sorry my Italian is crap I've lived here for a year but eight months of that has been in lockdown with two children where we only speak English please forgive me <laughs> say it right now please scusa mi italiano molto poco Io vivo in Italia per un anno, ma otto mesi in casa perché coronavirus, perché lockdown, anche due bimbi in casa e bimbi parlo altre uh, inglese, altre um, italiano, altre spagnolo, ma in casa solo parlo inglese. Gorgeous, gorgeous, I love it. So beautiful. Okay. Uh, that's what I can say, that's my go-to line on the playground, when the playgrounds are allowed to be open. So I go through this whole period, I move here, and then mm -hmm. we go into lockdown. Not only am I in this like hell of an adjustment, I then go into lockdown and I have both of my children at home with me. And I love my kids, right? Like I would give 10,000 kidneys for them, okay? Sure. But I also love chocolate. And having too much chocolate is bad for you. Yeah. You get where I'm going with this? Yeah. I get you. So I, get you. I have them both with me 24-7. <laughs> and in the period of going through lockdown, my husband was traveling. He was away for six weeks. The first six weeks that Italy went into lockdown, he wasn't here. And no one was allowed in and out of the house because everybody was 
scared of coronavirus and he couldn't get help. And I mean, that was it. So I then was stuck at home. I felt like my identity was taken away. Um, I felt like my sole purpose in life was now to be a housewife and a mother. And I just want to say there is absolutely nothing wrong with that if that's what you choose. But after the lockdown experience, I can adamantly say that I do not choose that. Right. I hear <laughs> okay, you. Okay, 10,000. <laughs> so in the period, I ended up writing quite a lot. I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. And I wrote um, some pieces. The first piece that I wrote is a series called The Corona Chronicle, okay. which I'm actually about to pitch to publishing houses shortly. And what I've done with that is I've taken very real stories of, it's going to sound so morbid and tragic, and it is morbid and tragic, but stories of um, deaths within coronavirus. So I took um, stereotypes, if you will. You've got the priest, you've got the prostitute, you've got this. How did they get affected by coronavirus? So what I did is I pulled up um, newspaper articles from all around the world of these things that had happened and how people died with, throughout this um, COVID experience. And I no longer viewed it as a newspaper article. I really went in and wrote it from a first-person perspective. Right. And the first series in that um, book is called uh, The Priest of Bergamore, which is the priest okay. who ends up dying in Bergamore because he gives up his oxygen machine for a younger man. And these are all true stories. These are all like the unsung heroes that are just a newspaper article. Get a mention, maybe get some airtime or people remember them for a month, but then we move on because coronavirus is so big. And so it's created almost, I want to say, the book itself is going to be like a snapshot of if you wanted a coffee table book of very, very deep things of what's happening or what happened within COVID, this would be it. And it covers all sorts of things within it. It's not just the virus, but also how the virus impacted different countries in different ways. So France had a huge, um, they had a huge domestic violence surge, let's say, against women during the the lockdown period. England had a huge surge in suicide and family suicide during the lockdown period. And so it looks at all of these different things and the effect of coronavirus and the rules that were imposed as a result of coronavirus. And that's really what the book is in a a nutshell. I'm really hoping we won't need a volume two, but that's what I started on. And then from that, I really, really just got writing. And then I started writing The Invading. And the thought of The Invading came what if... Okay, so this is going to sound completely crazy because during this COVID period, you are not exempt to these crazy conspiracy theories as to what's happening and why it's happening. And so I started reading all these conspiracy theories. And my husband was actually making so much fun of me because he was like, you are an absolute nut. All you need is a tinfoil hat. And I was like, well, how do you know I don't have one? So I started reading all of these conspiracy theories and it it started the thought of what happens if coronavirus um, isn't coronavirus? What happens if it's something more? What happens if it unlocks different realms, the galaxy or whatever? And so from this idea of these crazy conspiracy theories, I ended up writing this book, which is The Unveiling. And the idea is that coronavirus within the book Mm -hmm. is the um, catalyst of the lifting of the veil. And it's this idea that um, humanity has been shrouded in darkness or in this um, idea that we're all human and we're all exactly the same and we all come from the same benchmark and coronavirus is a catalyst for it and the veil starts to lift. And when the veil lifts, you suddenly realize that no one's totally human. No one is solely human. So everybody is a mix of races. And what I did then is I tapped into different mythological mythological races. You've got fae, you've got shifters, you've got all these different things. 
cool. But because the game has been in play too long in Earth or this realm, let's say, no one is one sole race because they've been breeding between different races because you don't know. You think everyone's human. So everyone is a hybrid of some sort. Really? So very, very quickly within the novel, you're thrown into this world and they set up testing centers very similar to the coronavirus virus testing centers. We can go and find out what your genetics are and what your mix is. And depending on what your mix is, your hierarchy is then shifted, which then puts the previous governors and mayors and presidents and all of the governing powers out of position because it no longer sits with who has wealth and who has power in that sense. Mm. It's really about what your hierarchy is in terms of your race. And so okay. this creates um, this dystopian world with a lot of power politics at play. And then it focuses on this um, female protagonist, which is, her name is Rhea. And she is a half-shifter, half-angel, and she is the only angel hybrid in the world. Cool. And as a result, um, because you've got so much political stuff to play, everybody wants her. But not as a fighter, not because she's great, but more as a pawn to say, wow, we got the angel. And it's really about what she decides to do and how she navigates that process and who she decides to side with. And so very early on, I decided that it was going to be a trilogy, and we split this. The second book will come out probably in June, and the third book I'm aiming to have out in November. But it's a very, very clear guideline as to how it's going to end and what's going to happen. That's awesome. Are you uh, self-publishing or traditional publishing? I'm completely self-published with this. I have decided I've got so many stories in the back of my mind and there's some that I want to self-publish more for the knowledge of self-publishing and building readership and getting people interested in my style of writing, what I do. And there's other things that I feel I won't do justice as a self-published author that needs a um, publisher or an agent. And the Coronavirus Chronicles is an example of that because it's such a big book that I feel like it can't just be an ebook. It needs to be a hardcover that you can have on your coffee table. Right. And every now and then, 10 years down the line, you might pick it up and go, oh, shit, yes, this is that story that I'm reading at one time, and it's so true, and I forgot that this happened. Because I don't think that this is ever something that we should forget. And I think the book in itself serves as a time capsule, if you will. Perfect. Wow, wow. And I thought that... Uh, I thought that I was going to have to come up with a bunch of questions about the book, but girl, you told me everything I wanted to know, and I appreciate that, because I'm like, okay, uh, what, the only thing, huh? Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, uh, how long is the book? Like, how many pages? <laughs> so, the book is... The first one. This is, this is my... my level of research and when I say that I knew nothing mm-hmm. zero sure. zero about writing and how long a book should be I'm an avid reader I just I literally read words read books and vomit words that's what I do yeah and um it's a 57,000 word novellas sure. novel so I think that puts it at I want to say 250 okay. pages perfect on cool. so it's not a, it's not a mammoth um Thing. I think it was set at the right pace, and then what I did on the back end of that was that I, I sent it out. There's been a whole bunch of reviews, and they have—I've got to say—they've mostly all been positive, which I am so grateful for. Um, we've got tons of reviews back, and Perfect. I'm currently now, aside from the Corona Chronicles thing that I'm planning on pitching, 
I'm busy working on a second book, which is not related to Dan Bading at okay. all. This is going to come out on the 15th of March. I'm okay. also doing a self-published cool. Amazon thing. Um, and it's called The Boy Who Was King. Okay. And it's, cool. it is... Um, it's, it's a very... This story is very, very special to me. It's a standalone. And the only way I can explain it is it's a pendulum of emotions. You swing back and forth throughout the whole book of pure joy and elatedness and happiness and everything that life should be mm-hmm. to utter and complete despair. It, it is, it's just a roller coaster ride. And it is a, a complete tragedy at the end, but it is needed and you understand why and there's a build up. And it's just such a, it's such a beautiful story. Um, it's, it centers on a little boy who uh, doesn't remember who he is. And throughout the novel, he gets picked up by a family who takes him in. And it's his life experiences through his eyes. Really, the first we're talking about like first friendships, understanding what a mother is, um, understanding um, the love of an animal, understanding that first love with a, a girl or a boy. Yeah. Boy, it's really all of those set against a very, very harsh landscape of um, human tragedy. Tragedy. So it, I'm quite excited for that book to come out. That's and there's so There's no cool. magic in that book until the very, very end. I'm very excited to um, get my hands on the unveiling the veil series book one because it's out now but also all the works that you're working on right now so make sure you guys follow author erin at mclucky moya uh her the veil series book one is out now the unveiling and the link is in the description Hmm? just um, added the unveiling series so all of the stuff that I'm self-publishing mm-hmm. um, but the unveiling is the first one is really just on Kindle Unlimited because I feel yeah. like um, so many people want to read and they don't maybe have the finances just to keep buying books sure. and I'm completely behind I know some authors might cringe when I say this but I'm behind this Kindle Unlimited deal because um, it just allows it's almost like a li- if you want to say it's a library card an online library really you take up five books, you return five titles, you take up five titles, yeah, and you pay your money. I get it. So I stuck it on there, which is great. Um, and if anybody was worried in any way, because I've gotten questions about this, as authors, you get paid from Amazon per page read. So, I mean, it's much of a muchness. And I'd rather have people read the work than not have access to it. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Cool. Awesome. Well, it's been fun. It's been amazing. I can't wait to have you back on to talk about book two. Um, And then, but, you know, take your time. You know, it's got to be the right, you know, if you need an editor, I know an editor. Um, So, I don't know if you know an editor. I know a proofreader. Really cool chick. Um, You know, if you need any help with the final touches, you probably have all that stuff, but... You know, you never know. Um, maybe a better price, maybe a more trusted person, something like that. Okay, so, so let also, me know. I will say that I might even take you up on that because um, one editor is not. I want to say you get good. You get certain editors that are great for certain projects, but not two projects are the same. Absolutely, totally. So you can check check it out. We'll message each other the information of the of the the proofreader that I know, the copy editor. Cool deal. Thank you so much for being here. Can't wait to have you back. Erin McLucky Moya, author of The Unveiling. Girl, I see so many names all day long, and I'm dyslexic. It doesn't help, but I try. I really, really try. 
Thank you, everybody, for being here. Have a wonderful rest of the day, and we'll see you later today because I got more interviews. Woo woo! Thanks. Bye. Bye. Ciao. Ciao. I love the ciao.